All right. Well, good news is, um, and I should have made this announcement too, is we do have a date set to pour the slab. And uh, yeah, so Monday, uh, we wanted to do it a little sooner, but because of scheduling with our concrete guy that's cutting us a break, he's on vacation last week of August when we want to do it. So Monday, September 4th, we're going to start at like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I just think it'd be awesome if you feel like being sleepy one day at work for folks to come out and just kind of gather around up there and be praying. That is going to be the place that we will be standing on because we're not doing tile and stuff like that. So literally as you see that concrete get down and get spread out, that's where the feet are going to be of ours and those that will come. And it'd just be awesome to have people out there praying. So you're welcome to come out there. We're going to, if we do, we'll stay out of the workers' ways because we are hiring it out. So this won't be a volunteer thing. But uh, Sunday is September 4th. Around 2 or 3 in the morning is when we'll get started. And uh, so pre appreciate that if you keep that in prayer and uh, we'll be moving along. All right. Well, is that Labor Day? The first. He probably will, but I didn't think about that. I know what I'll be doing on Labor Day. I, I didn't realize that. I'll double check because the concrete company may not deliver. Yeah. Okay. It may be the fifth, because we really can't be ready for him before he goes. He leaves, I think, uh, I think he leaves this Friday for vacation. Is this, what's this Friday? The 20, 18th, and the next one's the 25th. He leaves on the 25th, and we have a lot to get done before then, so I uh, highly doubt that we could be ready to pour before that. So it probably, it, it may be Tuesday the 5th then. Uh, thanks for the catching that. I was so excited to get all that scheduled. Thanks a lot, Ken. I was actually heading to my MRI and on the phone, ordering gravel and all this stuff. Today has been all day on the phone, and I thought, man, I just got everything lined out. But we, we can roll with it, and that's one day later. So, All right. Well, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 8 is where we'll, we'll focus um, focus a little bit there. I want to I read, there's going to be a little bit of reading uh, for a little bit of backstory before we get to our prime passage, so I'm going to read a little bit um, before we get there. I'm sorry I said the first 10 verses, actually what I have down here is 1 through 40, but um, we're gonna, I'm just going to read through, take time to read through this because the, the entirety of the story plays into our message. Um, it says, and I'm sorry I forgot my bifocals so you'll see me raise my glasses up in my head here, but. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and pro proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, a, there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they, were, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get your focus in the wrong direction for where we want to, you know, I want to give you one thought and kind of one path when we leave here tonight so it's easy to remember what God was trying to speak to you. But I, I can't read through the word without giving you uh, little things that might help you in your discussions uh, a lot of the deep discussions we have are not really with unbelievers, but other believers of different denominations and all. And, and I want to draw your attention to this passage where you maybe make a little note or something. When you get in discussions with those who may say that the gifts of the Spirit, you know, 
uh, were only at the day of Pentecost, or that, um, or or that you that when you get when you get uh, saved, you do have the Holy Spirit in you, but there's no other work. And we as Pentecostals here at New Song, we believe that there is an additional work, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not that as you're a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit until you get baptized. It's an additional work with a specific purpose that has to do with evangelism and discipleship. Uh, and so it says, um, these people, uh, Simon himself believed and was baptized, verse 13, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, this means that they believed. They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. Now pay attention to that. They prayed for the new believers, the already believing, the, the new Christians. Okay, There that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the, Holy, that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So um, there was some outward sign, right? And if we go into a study about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's an outward sign that something miraculous happened, right? Uh, with evidence of speaking tongues, perhaps. Because why would Simon the sorcerer, former sorcerer at that point, right? we suppose because of his belief, why would he all of a sudden want to purchase with great expectation and, and enthusiasm this gift if it didn't produce something amazing that would amaze people, right? So this wasn't just I prayed and look, I got a better smile on my face. I, I'm obviously beaming through my eyes and I'm a, a believer. There was something that happened there, okay? Um, so... Uh, when Simon saw the Spirit was given, laying hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. He's still in the mode of, It's your God and I want some of that. And he's still not believing fully. Because otherwise he'd say, Otherwise he would have repented. You know, we talked on Sunday about David. Well, Sunday before last, David, when he messed around with Bathsheba, there is an automatic repent, right? There's not a Mac repent. So, um, after they had further, this is verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel uh, in many Samaritan villages. Now, this is where we focus for tonight. This is the main focus. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch is someone who has uh, um, been uh, through a procedure to uh, basically say your life is one of uh, solitude and service. And so they uh, don't they don't marry um, generally. And So anyway, uh, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man, so the queen of all of Ethiopia, of the Ethiopians, this is who this Ethiopian eunuch serves. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Uh, then again, evidence where we see in Scripture, it says uh, that the Word of God seems like foolishness to those who don't yet have the Holy Spirit, that only by the illumination of the Holy Spirit can you really understand the Word of God. And so um, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was reading, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and they, the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Then they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord... Now listen to this. I mean, kids, listen to this. You, you like comics, or you like superheroes, or, or the, the, the supernatural. Listen to this. So Philip just witnessed to this guy, right? God sent him to him, and he naturally traveled to him. And Philip gets done, and, and, he's, and the guy's baptized. He's, he's saved, he's baptized. And um, then he says, Philip, however... Then when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. He didn't say, okay, Philip, start walking. Philip's there, and Philip's no more there. And it says, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now that's a pretty powerful encounter with God and truly believing when the eunuch isn't so dumbfounded by what happened with Philip that he, he kind of just, you know, he's rejoicing in what happened. He's like, okay, dude, this is weird. Like, I, I know this whole God thing was like supposed to be something, you know, but wow, this guy just disappeared on me. I, I, there's no focus on that. It's almost like to the eunuch now, that's just a part of it. And so, and so, are you asking a question? Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that here in a minute. We're, we're going to stop reading in a minute, but I'm going to get to that. So hold on to that for a minute, for, uh, for a minute. Okay, uh, Philip, however, appeared at, Azostus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns he reached, uh, the towns until he reached Caesarea. So his name was Philip, and Philip appeared on this uh, on, early in this story in the New Testament church. We first see him in Acts 6 when he was appointed long, along with six other men uh, to be a deacon in the other church, which was a different, little different position than what we think of deacons now. Well, not church board. Deacon was like one who served the meals, who prepared the food, who took care of the food pantry, who managed that. That was important to eat, right? We know at New Song it's important to eat. How many appreciate, you know, Dave and Bob and Don and anyone who prepares the food for us that you get to show up and eat this good food? That's that's part of what that responsibility was. So Philip is not just showing up in this this passage. We actually see him before and so that was more his position so um, we don't see Philip again until we read of him in our story that we're reading now and the title of the, the message I, I titled this tonight the providence precision and provision of discipleship the providence the precision and the provision of discipleship providence being the protection of God the the miraculous protection that God puts his, his divine providence around us. And, and precision, God is very precise in how he moves and acts and uses us as vessels when we are totally surrendered to him. And provision, he always, he always pays for what he orders. God always pays. In other words, if Jaden, if God calls you to be a missionary to millionaires and he knows that the only way the millionaires will listen to you is if you're a millionaire yourself, then God will make you a millionaire. In the same fashion, if God calls you to go to China, to poor villages up in the mountain where they have nothing, God may just take away everything from you to the point where you resonate with those folks and you walk that journey and you go, he could do it either way. He could do it where you don't have to lose everything you have or get a million dollars, but, but God is a God of provision. He provides for the things he asks for. He doesn't just give you a car because you want a car. He gives you a car within the intention. Oh, well, I paid for my car, so mine's not a God car. No, we have to know that from Scripture, everything we own is really God's. We are stewards of it. So he's provided you that car because he doesn't just plan on you going to work and working as a Lord. He probably intends for you to maybe pick someone up and take them to church or to use it to go do ministry. And he's provided you a faster way. And so I'm going to get into more of this, but one of the reasons I believe that Philip disappeared and went and we don't see that happen a lot in Scripture, is this is a time of persecution. We're going to get into that too. 
And this is a time when things are pretty intense. And I believe that it's really a matter of time. God had so much for Philip to do that if there wasn't time, they walked back then or took a donkey. And there wasn't time to cover the ground he needed. So boom, he's gone and he's over here. And probably a part of it too was uh, there was something specially planned for that eunuch because uh, I was going to say this later in the message, but there's good evidence that eunuch is the reason why the gospel reached Ethiopia. That clear back to that time, that was one of the reasons why the gospel reached Ethiopia so soon is because of this eunuch. So God probably even used that to just give a little wow factor to the Ethiopian eunuch, but I think also because of transportation. Something simple. We often try to look at what's this big miraculous thing that God's doing, and sometimes it's just a matter of, well, your natural time was, was messing with my plan. So uh, we had to change it up a little. So, again, we don't see Philip again until we read of him in our story today. And to understand Philip's story, you have to understand what was happening in the church during that time. Acts 7 ends with the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And chapter 8, 1 starts out by saying, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's pretty awesome. They get uprooted from the home, persecution, there's a bunch of turmoil. Um, and it's curious to me how God often brings something good out of something bad. This is a, a bad thing that's happening, yet God is continuing His word during that. It's evidence to us that we don't have the excuse that things are going bad for us, and that's why we're not sharing the gospel. We're in a bad time, so we can't share the hope of the gospel. Can you imagine? Here's a bunch of newly converted Christians who are basking in the light of God's mercy and grace, trying to live transformed lives when hardship hammers them. I mean, it's one thing to be a seasoned Christian, right? If we're all growing and maturing, then, then we kind of have the tools and we have God's Word hidden in our heart and we know how to deal with adversity when it comes and we've probably been through it multiple times. But there's a lot of new Christians who, as soon as they become believers, then everything, uh, get, the basket gets upset. I mean, to say it lightly. And so, um, how many have watched the news about what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia? Have you seen that? Have you seen, you know... Um, you know, since I'm a crime story person, I, I, not just news, but anything to do with things like, like uh, that, I just kind of study them. And, and, you know, I see this video of some uh, people getting plowed by this car coming through, and it's over race, right? But, but really, when you can break it down, whether it's race or things, there's, there's moral beliefs. Now, we'd say immoral when it comes to racism, right? But, there, but there's beliefs so strong around morality that when opposing forces get pressured, when, when their territories or they get pressed to try to um, uh, give in on their hard and fast morals, then conflict arises and it's some of the most intense conflict ever when our, more, our core beliefs. So a white supremacist who um, their idol, they've allowed Robert E. Lee to be their idol, right? So there's a statue of Robert E. Lee who to them resembles everything they want to have as far as racism and, and uh, slavery and and so they're going to topple that statue, right? That's the whole thing going on in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so there's this rally happening where all these people who want to see that happen, and then all these white supremacists show up, and that's where the clash happens. And it got very violent. I think four people died. Three or four people died, many injured. And so if you can imagine, this is a place where Christianity, uh, well, not Christianity, because they didn't believe Christ was the, the Savior, but the religious system, Okay, I, I'm just going to play, I don't like to say play devil's advocate. I'm sorry about this ringing. This is one of the drawbacks of this thing not being on my ear, uh, having one of those. But think about this. Um, everything we know, now I'm going to go with the premise that we know that there's parts of our church that's broken. I mean, in Paul's day, the church was broken too, but we know that we probably have done some things so much in church tradition that, and we know the consumer mentality, there's things that, that doesn't really resemble what God meant for the church. And we, we work hard to try to change that about ourselves and get to be the true church, but, but we know there's those things. But can you imagine, it's like if today we have found out what, that one of our core beliefs that makes us really come together to believe in Jesus, we've been wrong all along, right? I mean, the atheists, that's what they'd like to prove to us is they're really, you know, this is all a bunch of hooey. And um, so you see these conspiracy stories where 
these theories that where they say, you know, that there's all this dark shadowy stuff going on at the Vatican, the headquarters of the Catholic Church because there's so much power and that really they proved that there's people that say they proved that Jesus, the whole story is false, but the Vatican has like killed people and hidden the truth and all this, right? So, but, but the truth is if, if, if you found out something that was part of your core beliefs wasn't true or you suspect it wasn't, you know, it would tear you apart. And so people will protect those core values or morals to the point of death. Normal people that you go to work with, they were showing one guy, a young guy, who his boss found out that he was there as part of the white supremacist and got fired, right? Uh, there's people that you work with that you don't know that they hold these, they may hold them in because they're protecting them because maybe it's part of the strategy. But this is a time when people are getting dragged from their homes. This is like what we're seeing with ISIS and Christians. People are being dragged from the homes and killed and beaten. And so everybody's been scattered except for the, the core disciples. And I just believe that, you know, those guys were in the upper room. They got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, go ahead, try to boil me in oil, try to take my head off. I'm going to a good place, but you aren't running me off. But it's troubled times. And so we watch these things like Ferguson and we watch these things like Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, and these places. And it's just like we, we get amazed. We're like, how do people, why are people being so dumb? Why are people being so hateful? Well, it's, it's not new. And, and it didn't just start happening in our culture. It, it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. It's someone who believes that there should only be a, a race of white people. And so they are, they've got this messed up set of values and that's what they believe and they're very hateful. And so they're very hateful to anybody that's not like them. And um, it's not Jesus' way. It's not scriptural. And uh, they go as far as sometimes try to say that they're doing it on behalf of God. But, but it's like anything else. Like uh, You're too, probably too young to know about these. Like David Kresh in our timeline, he was, a, he was a cult leader who was saying he was doing things for Jesus and he ended up killing everybody in his cult. Um, uh, another one, uh, Jim Jones, right? Is Jim Jones, is that right? I have to be careful because there's Jim Jones that hauls dirt and stuff out here. And I think he's a nice guy. But anyway, so... Um, but Jim Jones had everybody drink poison Kool-Aid in the name of God and killed hundreds, I think, of people. So, you know, here, here's the thing. When people have, they, they somehow get these cultish or these, um, they get hardcore about this certain value system, this morality that they've, they've uh, that's why we have to protect the gospel so much. That's why it's worth uh, disagreeing and even to the point of um, kind and gracious and loving arguments with um, atheists or others because or especially with people teaching false doctrine because if you take the gospel just a degree off and you fall that very long you end up in a cult so so I don't want to get too too sidetracked with that but but that's what the church is going through is like you gotta realize the religious structure really is the one fueling this because the the government right the, the government Caiaphas those others that are, that are pursuing them would not do so if it wasn't for the fact that the powerful religious leaders are the ones that really want squashed. And I don't know all the details about what they had going between each other, the money, the power, all that stuff, but we know that the, the government, their only goal was to control the Jews, right? I mean, that's really their only goal. They conquered them, they want to get work out of them, they want to get taxes out of them, and they really don't care what their belief system is until it messes with their money and their power. And so the religious leaders, once they start not liking it, like, well, we've got to keep them happy because they're the ones that control the people through their religion. And we've got this Christianity, which is against what they're teaching, apparently. And so that's, that's what's fueling it. So you've got this uprising. You've got this people being dragged out of their homes, beaten, killed. And so this first great persecution of the church begins, and these early forerunners of our faith must have thought, what in the world is going on here? I'm trying to do what's right. So why do I have to fight these battles, God? This is very similar in a less dramatic way to what we experience when you go to work and you got pressures of your boss, right? And you got pressures of paying the bills and you got pressures, daily pressures that all seem to be secular. And then you come to church and the preacher preaches hard at you that you need to look at that as just a way to provide the means for you to go out and spread the gospel and where's your fruit and where's your disciples. And it, and it gets kind of sticky because you're like, hey, I'm trying to do what's right. I mean, I got all these reasons why that's not the way it is for me. I got all these reasons why that 
I, I can't make that a priority because if you just understood, and that's the job of the other people in the church that don't have as much to do as I do. And that's what everybody will say. Everybody's schedule is so important to them. And, that's, and, and so these folks, you know, they're just coming into this Christianity. They're just trying to figure it out. Their life has been turned upside down because their basis of morals have been challenged, but they surrendered to the voice of God and they've surrendered their lives but now they've got to get used to doing life different as Christians, and then they come and get smacked around by the government, right, or by the powers that be, and yanked out of their comfort zone, beaten, and they're scattered. So this is difficult. But God wasn't done yet. He was about to bring something good from something bad. So this concept almost seems beyond belief. I, I know in my life that when something bad happens... I'm not often jumping up and down saying, man, it, if it's this bad, I can't wait to see how much good can come from it. I mean, I wish that was the first thing that came out of my mouth and went to my mind is, man, I just can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. I mean, if you get around people who are doing that and you think they're sincere, they almost get annoying if you're not there, right? Because you want to share your pain and say, man, things are so rough. And they're like, oh, then just think, you must be doing something right. Man, if, if you're having that much hard time, then the devil's after you must be doing something right. And you're like, oh, shut up. You know, <laughs> shut up. I don't need to hear that. Pay my bills and then tell me that, you know. <laughs> or you deal with my boss and then tell me that. Maybe you're different. I, I know there are some folks who are more optimistic than me. And I, I praise God for that because if they were, everybody was like me, we'd all, it'd be worse. That's all I'll say. But God's word does tell us that he's working behind the scenes for Christians to make things right. For, for those who call Jesus Lord and Savior, there is always hope. There's always a strategy. And, and that's a hard thing to live by as Christians. Not until a message or until we're in the Word or praying does God remind us that everything that happens from now through your day tomorrow to the next day at work, do you know everything has a strategy and purpose and God's purpose? Whether a project you're giving at work or anything. This isn't fortune cookie stuff. This is the truth. Because if everything is pointing towards eternity in heaven and that project at work doesn't really get you to heaven, right? Now, I don't know if everybody agrees with me, but I just believe that there's really not maybe anything or not much that is meaningless in life. Now, the psalmist, remember, will say, meaningless, meaningless is all this, everything's meaningless and there's a little bit of, sound like a lot of complaining and, uh, you know, belly aching, but, but, there, there is some truth to say that God can use, if he, even if something that's bad, he can turn out for good. So everything can have a purpose. God is being very strategic. He's very precise in what he does. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good. In all things, it, it doesn't give us any parameters to say all things except, but in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can, can you let that soak in? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm having a moment here, but, but do you really get that? All things works to the good for those who are serving Him. If you're truly surrendered to Him fully, you're like, I'm all, I'm all in, God. I'm game. Whatever comes up tomorrow, I'm game. You, you, roll, the, you, you roll out the schedule and I'll, I'll play. You know, If that's really your heart and you really truly are sincerely there, then all things that happen tomorrow, negative or not, work for the good. Let me take a mental rabbit, rabbit trail with you that I go through sometimes. Today, at the MRI, I get a call. Somebody in the city is pretty upset. You've tracked red dirt. I have tracked red dirt. No, I didn't. But the guy working on a project, someone did, tracked red dirt all through the gravel in the, in the parking lot, right? For, and if that was my parking lot for the ball fields, and I spent how much money it cost to put that much gravel down and maintain that, and, and they're protecting the tax dollars, right? I would be upset too because that's not part of the deal. We don't get to just track up other people's stuff. And so they're like, we need, to get, we need you to get some gravel out here right now to, to cover over where the red dirt goes. And I'm standing there in, in, in scrubs, you know, getting ready. And the MRI guy's gone like, you can even put your phone down. We're ready for you, you know. And I'm like, okay, can I, um, can I get this a little later today or in the morning? You've got guys out here working. You really need to get this done because if not, so-and-so is going to shut your project down. Okay. Um, let me just get through my MRI for a minute, you know? And so I'm sitting here, I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, that's really crummy, you know? 
I mean, to be that, you know, pressured and, you know, I'm going through the winding a little bit in my mind and then I just start thinking, you know what? But there's another way to look at this. If that was me on the other end, I'd feel like, do they really care because they've messed up our property and this is a church and are they? So you better believe as soon as I was out of that machine, I was calling Benton County Stone and I called somebody and says, I can't even make it there for another 40 minutes. I'm in Fayetteville. Can you be at the property? Get the truck over there. And we had gravel down, boom, within a short time. Because everything negative God is wanting to use for the good. That relationship with the city is important. How you respond to the people we're trying to minister to as one of the people of the body of Christ here, you're either working for God or you're working against Him. How you speak to those in authority over you has everything to do at school, your teachers. Because guess what? We went and took backpacks to some of the schools. Not for your grades, but to some of the schools. Take backpacks. Say our church loves your students and loves you and we want to bring things to your teacher's lounge and we want to do this and then if someone gets upset with a teacher over their child and don't handle it like a good Christian mature Christian would and they go in there rah, 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 and you guys in this school and this and they get on they ran on Facebook no no guess what they just did because those people can see your tags and know where you go to church and all that and listen I know it's not right but they're gonna put you in a glump as all oh, that church is this way I had someone that came here one time that visited from out state family that lived here and they didn't come to this church but once in a while and they had very very different views than we do and they're very vocal about it on social media and I had some guy that was just slamming our church from out of state had no idea how we knew this guy just going on and on just ranting about our liberal views and you know false doctrine and all this stuff and you know gave us a horrible review the little star thing and all this and um, messed up our perfect score and I just I kept trying to reach out to this guy I'm like trying to figure out come to find out he had seen that person tag themselves at our church and believe that that's where they came to church, even though he didn't pay attention, they live in a different state, and believe that that's the way we taught, because uh, obviously our folks that sit in the pews, if that's the way they act, then that's what we're teaching, right? Which obviously this person not church doesn't realize that most of what I say will go in one ear and out the other. So, you know, most pastors, that's what they realize. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. There's darts at me. I, I don't want to chase, chase a rabbit trail, but this is important to the message tonight, because... Danny and I and several have talked that in our church and others, one of our weakest points is discipleship. Until people are willing to grow in the word themselves enough to take someone under their wing and disciple them to make them a disciple of, of what God has done in their life, then I'm only going to be able to gain so many people for the time I have and leading and shepherding everybody else. And we can get all the new converts you want to come in and bawl and cry and accept the Lord at this altar and mean it because we've had it happen 17, 25 in a year and have them come down there and do that. But at the end of the year when I fill out how many saved, how many baptized, how many filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there's this other line I have to fill out on a report that says, how many still attend your church? And guess how many times that's a big fat zero. So, so you've got to understand the importance of the story is this is a disciple-making opportunity that Philip is put into, and Philip is given a supernatural, uh, a, a, a divine appointment, if you will go and God's whole intention he doesn't keep down the road he gets disappeared he gets teleported from there right to somewhere else where he's needed it's one of the few times you'd ever see that right God does that so there is such importance on this eunuch right this Ethiopian eunuch but it's discipleship he comes and the Ethiopian is like I want to understand this I can't how can you understand unless you explain it to me? He tells him the gospel. He gets saved and baptized. He lays his hands on him, and boom, he's gone. And there's the first disciple for Ethiopia, for the country, right? Serving the queen of Ethiopia. And how important is Philip's actions and how he conducts himself in that moment when God's giving him the opportunity? What would Philip have done? Because see, keep in mind that he was sent out and we've got the others, right? We've got the others that went after things were going good, after people started to believe. It's like they've got this organized thing. Like These are the guys that come in and disciple them after, make sure they got the Holy Spirit, right? These are guys that come and tell the word. They get baptized in water and they get all this. And then we send the discipleship team. And so we saw that early in the passage, remember? And so it's like Philip has, he's, he's a guy for the food, right? And the guy with the food, apparently Jesus loves him as much as we love the people with the food because he's a guy that gets teleported. But, but it's an important discipleship moment where he gets to just a little bit of moment. You know, it's witnessing, he's saved, he gives him enough of the word for him to carry on and send a believer into a new country, right? And so we can never take for granted that everything we do throughout the day 
God is orchestrating for that Ethiopian eunuch in our lives. God is sending you on a path every day because there's someone who is connected to someone who's connected to someone and that person needs the gospel because there's a ton of people that rely on them. And so you can start tying every passage into this, into this message because it's like the power of life and death in the tongue. The things you speak to other people will, could mean spiritual death, eternal death to others. Because if you use your tongue in the wrong way and you don't exemplify Jesus in a moment when it's key, when there's a divine appointment, you may wreck it for the church to ever reach that people group. And so we've got to understand that, that we are held accountable. And this is the thing I don't think really carries weight enough with me yet. I'm still working on getting the gravity of the fact that I have to give account for everything I say and do. And if it doesn't scare us enough to change our behavior, then we've got to, we got to take a step back and say, wow, then I don't believe that there's a hell in heaven. You cannot say that you believe that there's a true heaven and hell. You cannot proclaim that and then be flippant about what you say and do. You get what I'm saying? You can argue with me until you're blue in the face. I'm going to tell you right now. And I'm not being, I don't care if you say I'm judgmental. It's the truth. The truth hurts. If you are flippant about what you say and do around other people, then you cannot proclaim that I believe there's a true heaven and hell. Because if you understand hell for what it really is and what will happen to you or others if you go there, then it will scare the pants off of you enough to know that I will be much more careful. Now, I'm not talking about a mess up. We, we are not perfect. And, and I'm going to get mad at the guy in the car, remember, and like roll down the window if you're here during Sunday. Ray wasn't, but I, I told the guy to roll his window down because he's threatened the life of my kids riding her bumper. And I've improved because I didn't get mad or angry. I just said, you're, threat, you're endangering my kids and you need to stop it. And the guy conceded. So, but, you know, it's, it's not that because we're not going to be perfect. And, and sometimes we need to be firm with people. I'm talking about when you have those, you lose your brain for a moment and you just go off in a tirade at some teacher because they were disciplining your kid and maybe you've just got to the point where you're not disciplining your kid enough. You, you need to take a step back and see, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe my kid's got me fooled and they're doing something else when I'm not around. And they're buffaloing me, telling me, because my parents found that enough to where they just finally started believing the teacher no matter whether they're right or not. Figured God will protect me and they'll just take the teacher's side, right? No, I'm kidding. You're always safer to take the teacher's side. I know there's one person here should be amen on me on that one that works in the school system, right? You better off take the teacher's side. They do it all the time. So anyway, in her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Tim Boone, this is a powerful missionary, Corey Tim Boone, relates an incident that taught her to be thankful for the things we normally would not be thankful for. Listen to this. She and her sister, Betsy, Prisoners of the Nazis had just been transferred to the worst prison camp they had seen yet. Upon entering the barracks, they found the, them extremely overcrowded and infested with fleas. The scripture reading from their smuggled Bible that morning was in 1 Thessalonians. It had reminded them to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy told Corey to stop and thank the Lord for every detail of their new living quarters. Corey at first flatly refused to give thanks for the fleas, but Betsy persisted. Corey finally agreed to somehow thank God for even the fleas. During the months spent at the camp, they were surprised to find how openly they could hold Bible study and prayer meetings in their barracks without guard interference. Several months later, they learned that the guards would not enter the barracks because of the fleas. We don't always know why bad things happen. Many of us in that situation would just be like, okay, God, seriously, fleas on top of starvation, on top of being captive, on top of possibly being gassed to death and all this stuff. You get fleas? And they gave thanks for the fleas and couldn't find out that was part of God's protection, His divine providence, part of His precision in what He does. Part of his provision, his protection, his providing, and the precise way he handles things. We don't always know what bad things may happen, but we do know that we're not alone in our struggles. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He'll personally, a personal God that goes ahead of you. He will neither fail you, nor abandon you. 
That's when we talk about standing on God's promises, young, young folks, guys, who God's trained up, be mighty men of valor. This is when you hear them say, stand on God's promises. And you're like, I don't get that. I get this image of like you're standing on something with the promise, like God says. It, this is it. God has promised, and he never goes back on his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you, which means I'll never, I'll never do you wrong. I'll never say you're not mine. If you willingly accept me and say you're my child, even when you don't see me, even when you don't physically hear me, and you think you're just going through normal life and you got all these struggles, I'm never leaving you alone. And I'm never going to ever tell somebody that you're not mine. And when the devil tries to challenge that you're mine, and you go to me about it, I'll be a good daddy and tell him to shut your mouth. That's, that's what he means. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so that, those are powerful things to read in the Scripture and not just let it be a Bible verse you're reading, but let it be your life. Let it be your, your morals that you'll die for. Let, let it be that thing that you'll be willing to be ran over by the car in Charlottesville, Virginia, because there's nobody that's going to try to tell you or take away the fact that God said He'll never leave you or forsake you. Let that be what you stand on. Don't let it be politics or who's in charge in the government because that's going to change and be disappointing every time to some extent on one side or the other. But the one thing we can stand on is God's promises that He will never leave us or forsake us. I am a child of God. I am just an alien passing through. But I am a mighty warrior for the one true king. And you challenge me on the things of God, and he might just tell me to go build an altar and saturate with water and throw the bull on there and then show up the other people that their false god won't burn it up. I don't have to, I don't have to debate to the point of anger every issue that's out there because my God has promised me he'll never leave me or forsake me no matter what you do to me. One thing's for certain, for every storm of life, somewhere down the line, there is a rainbow reminding us of God's promises. Hanley C. Moley, I think is how you pronounce his last name, he is an evangelical Anglican theologian, and he is a writer, and he is also a bishop of Durham from 1901 to 1920. He said, there is no situation so chaotic that God cannot, from that situation, Create something that is surpassingly good. He did it at the creation. He did it at the cross. And he's doing it today. If you say, I am a Christ follower and I believe the word of God, then you have to let it be a part of your life. And he did it at creation. He did it at the cross. And he's doing it today. And so, what was the good that came from this bad in the story? Well, the church went from being local to global. And this is where I don't want to step on toes, but this is where my proof in the pudding in Scripture is that everything we do at New Song is important enough for you to make important in your life. Now, I get it. You're dealing with a fallible um, shepherd that sometimes I may go out on ventures and I'm like, God, did you really want us to do this? Because it seems like a lot of work. Like that September outreach we did. Remember that nobody really wants to do another one of those, do we? Um, but there are people saved. There is good things happen. There's money raised for missions. And I stand by what we did. It doesn't mean we have to do it every year. But I don't regret that we did it. I believe the Lord led it and he provided. He was, he was very strategic. He's very precise in how he helped us do it. You know, he was, um, his provision was there and his divine providence. Because he, he protected us. Remember it was, raining, it was raining that day and it stopped just in time? So God, God is always, is divine providence, he's precise, and he provides. Okay, so the main thing was, is that the church was not local anymore, but it, it went out. And so you've you got to realize in the church, all these people that are going through this turmoil, they all had their own wants and needs. Hey, I was a good basket weaver before this, and I had a growing business, and I worked really hard to put in that. And now because of my beliefs, that's all been, I've been, scattered now out and my job is just telling people about Jesus but I don't have my livelihood anymore I don't have my sense of purpose I had I don't have my fulfillment I had I don't have that same job and so you got these people and this is what happens to us is we start to look at our Christianity and our our role in the churches only if it fulfills our other priorities and our own purposes and our own fulfillment that we've created 
Uh, only if it does. When Jennifer and I met, we were going to James River Assembly, his large church, but, but um, us giving backpacks to elementary schools, it reminded me, I told the story of uh, that church grew to the point, had resources to be able to go into a public school, an elementary school that had been run down, and do an extreme makeover on it. They'd go in the summer, take a week, they'd like modernize the teacher's lounge, put a nice stereo system in there and comfy chairs that reclined and made it this awesome thing and we'd paint the, the walls, we'd, we'd do landscaping, the church paid for it all, we did it with our own labor and just wowed that, that school. People took off from their jobs, they gave their finances, there's so much sacrifice to do that. And see the thing is, as many of us have these pie in the sky ideas about our church that one day it'd be great if our church is doing this, our church is doing that, if our ministry could minister our community this way. But guess what? It takes people. People of commitment, people who will sacrifice, people who will make their pro God's priorities their priorities. And realize that that job that he's given them, that car that he's given them, that family he's given them, it's all that they're just stewards of it. And if they aren't good with the little things, he'll never let you be in charge of the greater things. If you struggle in your job, if you struggle in your finances, you struggle in your relationships, guess what? Don't look any further than how much you are giving of yourself to the Lord. Because everything that's happening in your life is all about his kingdom. It's nothing about the temporary. And if you, if you attest to the fact, I am a believer, I am a child of God, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then your life needs to follow that path. Like these that we read in Scripture. This isn't 2,000 years ago that, that now it will never be the same as that. It's the exact same as that. Sometimes you get scattered. When I was at James River, they one time got up and said, God told us to start a church in Texas, all the way from Springfield, Missouri. We need 300 families. 300 families to move. Doctors close their practices. They've been there a long time. Lawyers closed their practices there and moved and started all over again. Well, that sounds like a cult, Pastor CJ. Well, there's always a copy of what God does right. There's always a copy that the devil does and cults are it, but that's not a cult. That's just people being obedient because there's a vision that's been cast. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same thing that we're being challenged right now is that building is getting real now. Those checks are starting to fly out and the money's flying out and God has put on my heart that we're to raise that $100,000 and we're not there on our pledges yet and we need to pray because God's got the people out there. He's got the provision to bring but we can't just sit back and expect it to happen because everything about your life plays a part in every part of God's plan and the church went out further because of Philip's obedience for a strange divine encounter with a guy who's living a weird life to me, right? Nobody messing with my parts to, to, to just do service to the queen, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the truth of it. You know, this is, this is an extreme, um, extreme life that he had. And so they were growing up, but they weren't growing out. The church was growing up. They were being persecuted. They were starting to, you know, expand in themselves. God was growing them quickly from new believers and all, but it still wasn't reaching out. They were scattered a bit, so... God had to start sending out Philip and the others and start spreading the gospel for the church to grow out. And, and this eunuch was part of that. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was not just a message for the Jews in Jerusalem. It was meant for all humanity. The messages I'm preaching here are not just for us. And if we're getting so used to and comfortable the fact that we get to come and enjoy this and I'll get around to sometime bringing someone else into this, then we got it wrong. But listen, it's not just about inviting people to church so they can hear the message and the pastor win them to the Lord and pastor disciple them, but it's that you start walking life together with them. And this is the conversation Danny and I had. I got asked the question, I hope this is okay, I'm just going to be vivid with it. I got asked the question, why don't we have discipleship programs? Some churches have discipleship programs, why don't we have that? I said, well, I've tried multiple times, here's the problem. You got to have people because I can only disciple two or three at a time myself, my wife maybe two or three, and we've had you know 17, 25 saved in a year. So there's got to be people who are willing to dig into the word themselves, so that they know they're confident that they're studying God's word. They're not going to be a hypocrite, and then they'll be willing to walk with somebody because this is the discipleship model I don't believe in. Here's a, a canned book. I'm not talking about the Bible. The discipleship class. Nothing wrong with that, but but this is what I don't believe works. 
I'm going to take this book and I'm going to go sit with someone for an hour a week and I'm going to go through these points that are pre-planned out for me to walk them through Scripture and I'm going to give this to them and once they learn Scripture, they'll be disciples, they're fine, and I'm giving that hour, I'm doing that. I don't believe that's Jesus' model. I believe Jesus' model is walk up and say, hey, come follow me. And let me show you how to walk as a believer. And they spent time with him and he was in their life and they were in his life. And, and he, they saw him in his weak moments, they saw him in his strong moments and, and uh, you know, they were there for him, and they walked life together. They abandoned everything to be able to explore this new way, God's way, of living for him. And that's what we talked about discipleship. Discipleship will happen at Newsong when you're willing to give up precious time and resources to take someone on your wing and say, my schedule that I think is so important is not kingdom important, but that person who has a soul is kingdom important, and I'm willing to sacrifice those things I think are so precious to be able to, to do it for things that God says is precious. And Philip, in a time of turmoil, was willing to go to a destination. He had no idea what was going to happen there. He just went. And God took care of the rest. God took care of Philip's schedule. God did it in a miraculous way. Philip, you're not going to have time to complete the other stuff that you probably feel is important. Um, I'll, just, I'll just transport you there. I'll teleport you there. Can you imagine trying to rally supporters for a missions trip? Hey guys, God's telling us to go into all the world. Now you just need to know that up front that someone and some of you will be arrested, beaten, whipped. You'll lose everything. You're going to be going through some of the worst things in your life. How many want to sign up? Do you guys want to go to a country with me to share the gospel where we may get put in jail and beat to death? No? That doesn't sound like a good time to you? That doesn't sound all right? Now I'm going to pick on you a minute because I know we're just we're goofing a little. But listen, I'm not saying I've arrived here, but what would Paul do? Go. What would John do? What would any of the disciples do? What would the disciples of the disciples do? And what was the difference between those and pre-Acts? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You want to have everything you need to go do this and do it bravely? Then get on your knees regularly and ask God, give me everything you've got. Give me everything you've got to make disciples. God, you, you, you give me what I need and I go, I'm going to go, you just give it to me as I go. Like Philip, God, you, you'll handle my schedule. Just, just provide me the opportunities. And then you better be ready and willing for the opportunities. Because I won't go into my stories. You've heard them a lot. But that's why 279, I started picking up guys on 279 because I prayed at one point, God, if you'll just bring them and, and awaken me to the fact that that's who you put in my lap, then I'll spend time with them. And I had this little lapse of, of memory to where when it started happening, I was like, what are you doing? It's Sunday morning. I can't stop for somebody and give them a ride to the edge of Oklahoma, you know? But those things will happen and you got to be ready because your, your time and everything has to be God's time. We'll face all kinds of persecution, but our, our what we call persecution is really not persecution. Somebody on Facebook making fun of Jesus because of you is not persecution. Not real persecution. Sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. It, it may hurt your feelings a little, but Jesus is the one that you should be thinking that you had a chance to suffer even minorly for his name's sake. All right, so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Sometimes good things come from bad situations. God loves us just as we are, but loves us too much to let us stay that way. This is something I will preach over and over because I believe with all my heart. Your moment of clarity will come when you realize that God does not want you to come to church the same way every time. And that's not because church is where the rubber meets the road. It's because there's so much change happening during the week. But at the time you get to Sunday, it's just wrapping up the change for the next week. We shouldn't be staying the same. No matter what age you are, if you're a believer, you should never be satisfied with being the same. Something always needs to be changing. You don't produce a change. You need to go to the Lord and say, change me. Change me, Lord. Change me. Change me. Live in His grace and realize, hey, when I mess up, God's grace is sufficient. I, I got it. I'm not starting all over just because I, I have a moment where I mess up. I ask forgiveness. I move on. But, but you should always be willing to change. I'm going to give you some silly examples I think are very much important. 
One thing we gotten away from here, and I meant to tonight, and I thought there's good reason for it, but now I'm questioning myself, is we used to hug. We'd have a little fellowship time and hug, and we didn't replace it with anything bad because we do prayer time up here now and the time in the service. But I don't know if services need to be longer or whatever, but, but there's a part of our culture that went away after a while that I think was important because we were, I used to have to give a disclaimer to new people. It's like, if you don't like to be hugged, hold your hand out. It's okay. People that are here all the time will understand. And we kind of joked and it got old me saying it, but truth was is we went around and hugged each other. And you always had to worry about the one guy that doesn't get it, that women don't need to be hugged, front hugged, you know. Um, so there's always challenge that, but it was a part of our culture. It was something, but you know what? It, it broke down some barriers, I believe. People, their space, their important space, they got over that. And, and it, it made them uh, able to be a little more comfortable around people they didn't know. And so God will use these little things even, these things that we have these little um, idols, like I have my space. I don't like close talkers. If you get up close to my face, I, I'm going to use the Jerry Seinfeld, that old show. I'm going to use his method. I'm going to put my foot out like this. If you see me doing that, that's what it is. Someone's got too close to my face, and so, hey, that's great, yeah. And if they move, trying to move in, yeah, that's great. Woo, yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah. Especially if they got bad breath, then your foot just goes out a little further, like, oh, man, my hamstring's a little sore today, you know. We all have our little idols or things that like, you know, people are important to me until they get in this space. And God wants you to slowly chip away. Maybe not at once, but get rid of those spaces. Let that space be His. All right. God uses the persecution so that Christians would take His life-giving message to Judea, Samaria, and then on, on to the rest of the world. And um, Robin is here who lives just a few blocks away, and I didn't meet Robin until she walked into the door. Now, we started going door-to-door -door just before in, this, in the areas, and I think close to where you lived. We might even stop. But we met Robin after we started that. But quite honestly, there are so many people around here that we've been here for years now, and we don't know any of their names, anything about them, and we never even tried to reach out to them. And they're with walking distance. And we come here, and we meet, and we drive for further distances, but yet people who are closest to our place of worship, we don't even know who they are. And it gets even more wild when you have people who sit right across the aisle from you for months and you still don't know who they are. That tells you I have a space problem. I have a problem where Jesus does not have all my space. Because if Jesus had all my space, I would get off my duff and go across and ask that person, let me call you tomorrow and just be blunt about it. I need to get to know you because Jesus wants me to know you. And I want to, want to know you. So let's start by, let's call each other. I'm telling you, it... it it's silly to say that that's radical, but sometimes in church that's a radical thing for people to have to be pushed to, to interact. All right. I want to talk just as we close as the, about the reason to rejoice. Philip took his marching papers right into Samaria, a place no good Jew would have ever gone if they could avoid it. I mean, this is Samaria where the mixed breeds, right? The, the Samaritans were the mixed breeds that Jews despised. And it was a big hairy deal. And so he went right in there. And they were half Jewish and half pagan. I mean, this is, this is your people. If you, I'm not going to give an example. If you go on YouTube and you watch one of those uh, other preachers who are doing things that you don't agree with, whether it's the blowing them down or it's whatever, but, but whatever your thing is that's pagan, you know, um, there's some people that that's, that, that's wrong, right? You, you don't blow and people fall down. But whatever it is, you, you, you take that and they're a Christian who has mixed something that's not Christian in with Christianity. Like, like Christians who read their horoscopes and post their horoscopes. That's my pet peeve. Quit mixing sorcery with, with Christianity. I'm not, even, I'm not even stretching for that one. I'm not reaching. It's straight up sorcery. Palm reading, all that, it's sorcery. It's of the devil. Quit mixing the devil with the Christianity. It doesn't mix. So that's what, that's what this is. Samaritans, are. that's how Jews see them. They're half Jew, half pagan. Um, that's how the Jewish people see them. They're so disgusted by their distant cousins and dis disdained by them, and they're often uh, in brutal conflict with them. Uh, Ferguson and Charlottesville, Illinois, this is the Samaritans and the Jews, head to head, often. Like today, Israel and Palestine. Missiles flying over the walls. So Philip's not just going to any town in the area. It seems that the city God led him to was the capital city of Samaria, a city with a rich history, but also one that was of detriment to Jews. Can you imagine what it would have been like for someone in that city? It must have started out like any other day, 
But it would soon become a day when many would never forget. For on this day, God was sending Philip with a story of hope, healing, and acceptance to change a broken and lost people. And the Samaritans see miracles performed in Jesus' name. Lives are changed, relationships are restored, grudges are forgotten, and sins are forgiven. This would be a little bit like going into a KKK rally with the gospel. Okay? Especially if you're not one of their preferred people. That's, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. And so a revival erupted because if you go into that camp, right, if you went to the KKK and all of a sudden they became true believers and they gave up their, their stupid hats and all that stuff, you know, and, and their ways and turned to God, then that's what's going on. So amazing things happen when we totally surrender to God. We realize that our job is to disciple and make disciples and, and uh, to bear fruit. God gave Philip a new mission. Um, uh, verse 26, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. God gave him specific directions. And when you get used to hearing God's voice and obeying it, he'll start giving you specific directions too. I just love when... Um, can I tell you one more story? And I, I keep saying in closing, and we're about 12 minutes over. And I've got more, but we'll just end here because this is awesome. We are in the process of changing our bank accounts from Arvest to Grand Savings because Grand Savings gave us a really good deal on our loan and have been awesome to us. And we're losing a little bit of customer service at Arvest. I'm just noticing they're not as customer-oriented. And Grand Savings will come and pick up your deposit for you if you're a small business like a church and you can't make it better in time. I mean, they're just hungry for the business and they're awesome. And so this young lady I hadn't met was supposed to come to the church and talk over. They're going to set us up where we can deposit your checks right in the office. So no more of this, hey, when is my check going to clear? You know, because we have part-time bookkeepers and then different ways of doing checks and all kinds of cool stuff. And so they're getting us set up. And she comes in, we're talking. And just for the sake of time, I can't remember how we got turned to this, but she ends up saying, I wasn't raised in church, not religious, but I've had this real desire for my family to like go to church and for like God to be a part of our lives. And she said, um, you know, we're, we're probably going to go to this church close by. My, my husband has read the Bible. He knows something, but I just feel so lost when I walk in. She said, I just feel like I don't really know what they're talking about. And I just, I just struggle because he knows, but I don't. And I leave kind of wondering what they're talking about. And it's one of those moments where when you start to listen to God's voice and you get to the point where you just, and you realize everything is a divine appointment. You don't look at it as this is a bank meeting. This is just disguised as a bank meeting, but it's a Holy Spirit moment. And so the Holy Spirit literally spoke this for me because I didn't have time to even think of it. I said her name. I called her by name. I said, you know, God wants you and your family to be in church because we get strengthened through the body, but that's not what he wants. That's not the primary. That's the secondary. That's, that's the supplement to what he wants. I said, what? I'm going to try and be careful not to say her name because I, I just kept saying her name. I said, what God wants is he wants communion with you. He, he wants to speak to you and for you to understand his voice. Not, not, I know it's God's word they're preaching, but he wants personally, direct to you, for him to speak his living word into your, into your heart and for you to understand. And for you to get up in the morning and there's a song on your heart and he begins communion with you and you have a relationship. And I said, he loves you and he wants that with you. He wants you to go to church, but he wants that more importantly. And waterworks. I mean, it was like, it shot, it just like caught me off guard. Just, and Jen was over here working around the coffee bar and everything, and at the end I kind of had her meet. But I just one of those things that usually I call my wife in is one of those things like the Holy Spirit said, no, no, we got this. And, 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 and literally she couldn't even hold, hardly pull it together. And I said, your young children and your husband, he wants to mold you guys together, make you a strong family unit, and you all commune with him, even your kids hear from God, and he repurposed what you think their purpose is for life, for him to take control of that and for you to rejoice in the fact that he's got your kids and everything, and just begin to pour, and she's bawling. And you know what? We've had to talk over the phone a few times lately, and we first pray. Today I talked to her on the phone, and she had been sick a few days from work, and, and she was calling while she was sick, saying, I'm sorry, I just feel bad because I said I'd get this done by that. I said, I didn't expect you to call. They said you're sick. Get better. Uh, let's just pray. And we prayed for a healing, and we talked a little more and prayed. And God is allowing me for whatever short time to begin discipleship with her, probably for someone else to take and run with it. I don't know if she'll end up here or she'll go to somewhere else, but God has sent that, that Ethiopian, she's not Ethiopian, but sent that Ethiopian to me, sent me on a path 
for that. But I needed to stop what I'm doing because, see, after that meeting, it was supposed to be about 30 minutes, and it was an hour and a half. And so I had other things that I thought was important that had to do with building a church and all this other stuff. And, and the temptation is to say, I don't have time for this, so I can't get it started. But what beautiful thing God is doing out of just a moment of surrender and say, that's your space, not mine. Because you're very precise. Your providence is awesome because you protect me in that. You're protecting my schedule. You're prote- you've got it all. Do you provide? You'll provide what I need for later. We're not going to miss anything. Things are going to happen. If you can adopt that into your life and walk it as a believer, God will revolutionize your walk with him and you will begin to make disciples. And you'll see fruit of that. So I started to start the message out tonight by asking if anybody had a testimony about somebody they're witnessing to. And I decided because this was going to be kind of hard for some maybe to hear or it might be a little bit challenging in a way I didn't want to put you on the spot and trick you and then later, you know, wham you for those that didn't share. But I want you internally just think, who am I currently speaking about the Lord? Here's the thing, from the wealth of what God is doing in your heart will spill out to others. And that's not a condemning, I'm just saying, if you don't have it spilling out of you on others, then find out why. Maybe it's because you're not digging in and spending that time with Him you need and communing and having that personal relationship. Church has become your mode of your relationship with God and it needs to be a personal relationship. Not a private one, personal. Amen. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the patience of your people tonight, God, that we were able to to walk through this journey of of Scripture. And God, I just pray that you'll take this word, bury it in our heart. God, let the challenges be uplifting, not not condemning. Don't let the devil, Lord, try to lie to them and and hold them down and say, I'm not doing this, I've been told I'm not doing that, and now I feel bad. That, that, Lord, you'll, you'll keep that hogwash out of our minds. Lord, let the purity of your word speak to us and say, my child, here's the challenge, and I'm going to equip you. Step up to the plate. Release your will, your free will, into mine that I may use you, and I will, I will do amazing and miraculous things through you. Because it's not all just about you. It's about the furtherance of my kingdom. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all. And uh, for those of you who can, I know I went over, so uh, I'm not expecting great attendance if you can't. But I'll try to cut it to 15 minutes if you're able to meet with me about helping.